Hi there, and thanks for tuning in to the Women in Leadership podcast, the place to come to for inspiration and career advice from other women who are fascinating in their own right and terrific role models for both women and men. If you have talent to spare that may currently be underutilised, you're not alone and you can learn so much from today's guest, Vivian Jupp, who's chairman of CIE. So if you're doing a job that you've got, make sure that the people who've given you the job, your superiors, are aware of what the job is, what the challenges are and how you're addressing those issues so that you can demonstrate to them that you've actually done a good job and they can appreciate the difficulties and the challenges that you've overcome in doing it. She was the first woman director of Accenture in Europe and started the Accent on Women programme to foster female talent and to improve the pipeline of women leaders throughout the organisation. She has great advice for women at all points in their careers. I I suppose I have only three pieces of advice. Get yourself a good education, do your job well and make sure that your partner in life understands and knows your dreams and your aspirations so they can be an advocate and a supporter for you. Vivian believes we need to have more women more widely represented in all aspects of life and that women bring different perspectives to the table. My name is Vivian Jupp. I'm the chairman of CIE and I'm on several other boards, but the the one board that I'm particularly focused on at the moment is the Irish Hospice Foundation and trying to be much clearer on what it does and why it does it. Tell me about your own journey through leadership from your school days. Were you always a high flyer? Were you always marked out as somebody who was going to lead? I am a north inner city girl. I went to Stanhope Street School. Um, I would have been the first, I'm the eldest in my family, I have two brothers and two sisters, the first of my family to go to university. When I finished school, the school that I went to wouldn't, would have been uh, populated with, as I said, north inner city kids. And going to university wasn't necessarily something that was explored uh, with us, but I really wanted to go to uh, university. I mean, my parents were absolutely committed to education and I believed everything they said, that if you get a good education, you'll get a good job, you will be independent and you can have a good life. Uh, so I went to UCD, I studied commerce. At uh, that stage, UCD in commerce would have had about 30 women and 300 men. Uh, Now, it's changed dramatically since that time. Obviously, now more women are going into university, so it's it's over 50-50 for women. Um, After I finished my primary degree, I really wasn't ready to leave college. I loved it there. So I did a master's. I did a master's in business studies, uh, postgraduate work there. And uh, one of the things, having done a business degree, one of the things that I, I did learn is that I really didn't want to be an accountant. A lot of people get these kind of, you know, either I'm inspired to go this way or I definitely go, don't want to go that route from their college degree. And I decided I didn't want to be an accountant. Uh, so I joined, um, actually joined what was at that stage an accounting firm, but I joined, joined the consulting division. Uh, and I worked as a management consultant. I spent 32 years uh, with Accenture. I worked in Ireland. I then got a job where I, I managed all from Norway all the way down to South Africa and you know Britain in, in between. I then had a European-wide jo- job. And then 
at uh, what year was that? Probably in the early to mid 90s, I got a global job. Um, I actually asked the CEO a question at uh, a meeting that we had, which he failed to answer uh, comprehensively. And so a few days later, he called me up and said, Vivian, I'd like you to explore that issue and I'm putting you in charge of it. So that's how my global jobs uh, started. Now, you make it sound so easy. Well, I just did this and I just did that. But that doesn't happen for every woman. It doesn't happen for every man, but it certainly doesn't happen for every woman. What were the kind of the step changes or the key changes? And, you know, did you put yourself out there and say, yes, I'd like that job? Or did you know, because they accuse a lot of women of just sitting in a silo and waiting to be noticed? Uh, Well, I mean, the first thing that anybody has to do when they get a job is to do it well. I mean, if you don't do that, you can't expect to move through the organisation. The second thing is, when you get an opportunity, is grasp it. Because you have then the chance to shape that opportunity to what you can make of it and you can deliver from it. So I, I would always say, you know, even ones that look maybe a little bit odd, just take them and shape them. And, and go and do a good job on it. And so put your hand up for things if they are looking for volunteers as well. Uh, and make sure also that people know what you're actually doing. So if you're doing a job that you've got, make sure that the people who've given you the job, your superiors, are aware of what the job is, what the challenges are, and how you're addressing those issues, so that you can demonstrate to them that you've actually done a good job, and they can appreciate the difficulties and the challenges that you've overcome in doing it. So you have to publish yourself a bit. So don't don't hide your light under a bushel. Be, be careful to talk to people about what you actually have achieved. I think the Americans call that personal branding. <laughs> well, I, I would never have put that, that title on it, but it is important that you can tell your own story. If you can't tell your own story, you know, you're kind of lost. What were those key step changes? I mean, did they advertise jobs for you or that you saw and went for, or did you actually say, hey, this needs to be done and I'd like to do it? Um, no. Um, th- you know, the way you got roles uh, is by building up your skills and your profile. And so I would have got various roles throughout my, my career. And I do remember at one stage um, that there was a, an American who came to work in Ireland. And he, while I wasn't aware of it, he appeared to be an advocate for me um, because we had a very challenging role, a big consulting project at one stage. And he said, I would be the one that could do it. Now, it isn't very common for a man to turn around and say, that woman can really do that job better than anybody else could, so we want to put her on it. Uh, and so I, 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 I was given a very big role um, to do, and I did it. And you know, if I'm going to do anything, I'm going to do it well. I'm one of those people, and my mother used to say was the pride in me, uh, that you know, I was go- if I got it, I was going to do it, and I was going to do it well. Um, have you, do you find mentoring is important? Have you found mentoring important? Do you do it for other people? Oh, I, I, I think it's really important. I didn't realise it at first, uh, that, it was really, that it was that important. Um, and I mean, when I became a partner in Accenture, I was the first woman partner in Europe. And I remember being a bit surprised that you know, a woman in Dublin was the first woman partner in Europe. And I absolutely believed at that stage that loads of women would follow, follow me into that role. 
And across Europe, yes, lots of women became partners. But in Dublin, it stopped. I mean, for many years, there was no woman coming through, even though I could see lots of good women. And I remember thinking, you know, I have to stop this. We have, I have to take a personal responsibility for more women to come through the pipe, to, to mentor them through so that they know what's actually expected, that they can deliver what is expected, and they can tell their story so peop- everybody knows that they're doing what, it, what is expected. So the first thing I did, I remember, was I brought a number of the partners from around Europe to Dublin to talk to the women in Dublin so that they could tell their story. Uh, I mean, I don't, I'm unfortunately not blessed with children, but I do have a husband of very long standing. So some of these women had children, because one of the big excuses at the time was, I have children, therefore I can't do it. And I don't believe that. I think you can have a successful career and uh, look after children and be a very good mother. Uh, so from that stage onwards, after that, we had that very first session with the women, I would always encourage women I would always have a word in their ear if I felt that there was an opportunity for them to shine. And I always celebrated the promotion of women to manager or partner within the firm. I used to have these great events in my own house where the noise level of the women in the house was just amazing. I remember my husband saying to me, he came to the door one night kind of late, opened the door and he said he was thrown back with the noise from the women. So I always celebrated that. And from that very, very small beginning, Accenture has a terrific, what they call, Accent on Women program, uh, where they look at all of the activities around ensuring that women are recruited, that they're retained and that they're promoted within the company. That that's great news story, but a lot of companies aren't doing that, and the statistics would say that companies are losing out by not uh, harnessing the benefits of having women. That you know it's affecting the bottom line, and companies that have boards that are gender diverse and reflect society, and they their middle management reflect diver- diversity, that they're actually doing better financially. Is that a key argument? I think there are huge business arguments around diversity. I don't think it's just diversity for their diversity's sake. I believe that it is a really business issue. First thing is more women are finishing school, you know, more women are going to university, more women are getting jobs, uh, more we, women are being trained in those jobs. So if we fail to capitalise on that investment, that's a huge waste of resources. So that's the first and kind of very obvious thing. The second reason is that our customers, there's a huge, are, are women. I remember reading that you know, women were the major decision makers in all buying things with the exception of cars, but then I was reading somewhere else that since Top Gear came on, women are taking a much better interest in cars and are influencing the car decisions in their household. Um, the, the third thing is that you know, the businesses need to reflect the kind of customers that they have. I mean, if you are providing services to or products to other women, then you need to make sure that those women are contributing to the business decisions that are being made within your organisation. The whole area of unconscious bias, we all suffer from it, Um, but it seems to be a huge area of research, both Mm. in Harvard and in companies here. Do you think it's, it's worthwhile investing in for HR departments in particular 
to invest in the in training so that people are aware of their own unconscious biases, particularly with regard to gender diversity? Well, I think uh, unconscious bias gives us the best lever to talk about diversity issues than we've ever had before, because unconscious bias is that something that men have and women have. So when we talk about it in that frame of mind, we can have a very serious discussion about diversity. And I think it's, uh, the research is absolutely fascinating. And I think it's, it's wonderful to be able to talk to men about it and to explain to them the sorts of things that they do and we do, which can mitigate against recruiting women into an organisation, which can mitigate them seeing and encouraging women to deliver their best and can mitigate them promoting women. And so I always talk about that unconscious bias. Any time I get the opportunity to speak to an audience about the diversity issue. I talk about the business issue and I talk about unconscious bias. So that's obviously very true to your heart. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I have seen situations where I've been the only woman in a group and an unconscious bias comes in on the male side. And sometimes if I wasn't there to kind of say, hey guys, let me just make a point here. You know, it could have just, they could have been swept along with the thought because people weren't looking at the other side of the coin. And it's so I, I re- that's another reason why I think we need to have women involved in all aspects of, of, of life. And, you know, if we don't, you know, there's a terrific talent there that has not been exploited. Many of the women that I've spoken to, I'm thinking of Danuta Gray in particular, said that occasionally men will just kind of bypass them at a boardroom level or say, well, we'll come back to the, we'll come back to the main issue. That's a very nice point, but we'll come back to the main issue when she would think, I'm actually talking about the, the main, main issue. Yeah. Has that ever happened to you? Well, it has happened. I try to make sure that I avoid getting, you know, sidetracked like that. But, but yes, it does happen. And you have to be very strong to bring it back uh, and to bring it back as a business issue. And then they'll focus on it. If you don't, they'll just say, I, you know, wipe, you know, just oh, poo-poo that sort of thing. Now, before I came over here, I just had a quick look at uh, who's on the board mm-hmm. of CIA, and there are three women on the board. Am yes, I right? Yeah. there are three yeah. women on the board. Um, is there a need for to have more than one? Like, is one a token woman? And, you know, do you need to have a critical mass of women on boards of any kind, you know, mm-hmm. for, for diversity and for balance? I think one woman can sound like a lone voice and your voice sounds different anyway versus where the men talk. So are they going to really listen into it? I think, you know, there should be always a good proportion of women on on boards. And I mean, I established a group called the Board Diversity Initiative, which was to identify capable and willing women who are prepared to sit on boards uh, and to encourage those women to make themselves visible to those people who are involved in the selection of candidates for boards. And we've had a good bit of of success in terms of women being appointed not only to PLCs in Ireland, but to uh, government boards and commercial bodies. But on the CIE board, we have uh, two women. We have Helen Keelan and uh, Frances Meehan. And both of them bring, you know, different perspectives, 
you know, because there's a sense that women bring the only one perspective, but they don't, because they have different backgrounds, different experiences, uh, different education, so they bring a very good perspective. And they're prepared, they're tenacious. I think that's an important aspect on a board, because it's easy to to kind of get fobbed off. So, you know, that tenacity is very important. From your own experience, do men and women bring different things or are we stereotyping even just saying that? But, you know, have you found that women bring different qualities to a board or to any meeting? Well, I think they do bring a different perspective. And I do think that they will follow through on things. Um, they They won't just accept a glib answer. So they will follow through on things. Now, not to say that, you know, men don't follow through either, but I think one of the things that women do is that they do follow through and they stay with the issue until they are they feel comfortable that we have an answer. Another thing they say often say are often said about women is that uh, like Lehman Brothers, if Lehman Brothers was Lehman Sisters, yeah. you know, the banks wouldn't have folded that, you know, but women are more risk averse and is that necessarily always a good thing? Well, I think we need to have prudent risk taking. Um, we do need risk-taking, so let's not forget that, because otherwise we'd never have any of the changes that are required and that we want to achieve in, in the world. I mean, there's, you know, the world is full of levels of inequality that have to be addressed. And unless we took some risks as we were moving on, we would never get those uh, addressed. So, But I think we have to have a level of prudent risk-taking. Are CIE putting policies in place to create and maintain a pipeline of women managers and leaders? Well, well, we have started to look at succession planning so that we understand the skills and experience that are actually required for the various top management jobs. And then we are going to look at whether we have candidates to fill those jobs or whether there is some education, training, coaching, mentoring that are required to bring people up. I've said that I don't want women to be ignored in that because there is a tendency for women to not necessarily put themselves forward. So I've said to them, make sure we search. You know, we don't just see the first people that are out there in the pool that we search. I think that's critically important. I remember once talking to a chairman of a board who told me that he used a headhunter to, to find board members. And he said he'd, they'd, he'd never got women on the list. I was quite horrified uh, about that. And I asked him to always ask the headhunters going forward to do efficient research to ensure that there was always women on the list. Because you know, if, if, if we're not putting women on the list, then we're not being fair to them because they can become invisible. And that's what we want to avoid. But they often say that women don't like the argy-bargy, like of the doll or, you know, rough and tumble that women aren't able for it or don't want it. Does the workplace have to change to accommodate to women a little bit more? Well, I think it has to accommodate both men and women. And there, obviously there are certain differences between them. And, and for in some cases... Uh, the burden of the household still falls on a woman. And until we get to a situation where it's falling more equally uh, uh, across both partners, then I think you know, we won't necessarily get the changes. Because when a man puts up his hand and says, I'm not coming in for an eight o'clock meeting because I have to bring the kids to school, that is when you begin to get change. And, you know, so women, the women, I think, need to share, share the responsibilities with their, with their males. Um, 
Now, obviously, some women decide, I don't want to do that. I want to be the sole. And that, I, I perfectly understand that. But if we're to bring about the change, we do, do need to share things a bit more. And Joan Burton is saying to me that when they have changed certain aspects of work-life balance in the Dáil, and uh, she said that a lot of the males came up, particularly the younger men, and said, you know, it, actually, it suits me as well because I'm a young dad. Mm-hmm. Or some of the senior older men said, I wish that it had been around in my time because mm-hmm. they didn't see their kids' communions. Yeah. You know, so do we have to accept the family role for both? We have to accept it for both and we have to. People are always looking for ways to sort of accommodate. And I don't like that word. I, I think it is to understand you know, the responsibilities that people have and to make sure we don't put um, parameters or obstacles in the ways of all of those other responsibilities. Talk to me about your own leadership style. What's your authentic leadership style? How would you describe it? Um, That's a difficult question to answer. Uh, I think I focus on the outcomes that I want to achieve and be very clear on communicating what they they are. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't ask anybody to do something that I wouldn't do myself. Uh, but I think I think very important thing is to be able to delegate. As a leader, you cannot do everything. So it's very important that you know how to delegate and communicate what you desire from that delegation, and you know, inspire people uh, to. To, to, to achieve within, within those parameters then. How do you know if you're achieving then? Well, if you focus on the outcomes that you want, um, that's the only way you can, you know, whether you, you're getting the right thing. And it doesn't mean, you know, I would, when I give a task to somebody, I say, this is what I would like you to do. Tell me ways in which we can do this. Um, and then if we can't do it, well, I listened. You know, I don't sort of say, oh, I, I told you I wanted that. You know, you have to be able to listen to people and to really explore the challenges and get underneath the difficulties that they actually have in doing it. Now, we talked earlier on about mentoring. Mm-hmm. Did you have any key people, men or women, who mentored you across your career that you'd... Um, no. Not, not necessarily. I, I, I mean, there were certain things that inspired me to do things. Um, I mean, like my parents were very conscious about a good education. I do recall in primary school going to, I must have been about 12, been on, on a school trip to a factory and I came home hugely distressed from that factory trip because I couldn't see myself doing those jobs in that factory. And I remember explaining it to my mother and and she calming me down and saying, Vivian, don't worry, that, that will not be the job for you. You're going to study hard, you're going to get a good education, and then there's loads of jobs. Now, she was unable to explain to me what jobs there would be, but I really believed that they were not the jobs for me and that there were other jobs that I could get, and that was very important to understand. I suppose the other thing for me growing up, I have two brothers and two sisters, in that my parents didn't differentiate between us. You know, if there were jobs to be done in the house, I could just as easily be told that it was my week to bring out the dustbins and it was my brother's job to wash the dishes. So I think that helps you to understand and to to appreciate that you're just as important as anybody else. They say about the new generation why that are coming along have no idea about let me tell you uh, <laughs> they're they're born after 1985 and the research uh, has shown both in the uk and here that they're much more particular 
about where they want to work. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're, they're, they can, of course, they can check everything out online now. But it's for both men and women, young men and young women, they're being much more choosy about mm-hmm. where they want to work in terms of diversity matters for both of them, mm-hmm. but also the ethical stance of the companies that they want to work mm-hmm. for. So the, the word is that from all the research that's being done is that if, if companies want to hire the best talent, they have to be gender diverse and they have to have ethical qualities. Does that make you optimistic for the future? Well, if, if that is exactly the way they think, then I would be much more optimistic. Uh, I mean, I, as long as the workplaces that they go into continue to reinforce that. The problem is that sometimes the workplaces don't do that. I mean, some people can come into a workplace with a high level of enthusiasm and motivation, and somehow it can be whipped out of them in the workplace, and that's a disaster. And you know, workplaces shouldn't do that. They should be trying to encourage and keep that level of confidence up, because only with that level of confidence can you achieve what your potential is. Finally, what is there any motto or uh, phrase that you live your own life by, or some phrase that um, hangs true with you from your youth? Um, now, there's no motto that I would live my life by, but I do believe uh, in my own dreams and my own aspirations or ambition. A lot of women don't like the word ambition. It sounds, you know, too too aggressive. Uh, but if you talk about dreams and aspirations, they fully understand that. Um, and I've always wanted to do well. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a bit of pride in myself. I just, I don't, I, and therefore, and I under, I do understand that to do that, you have to put in a bit of work. I don't expect to get things for nothing. Um, I expect to have to put in a, either thinking or hard work or whatever. But if you do that, you will. I suppose it's a bit like the more you practice, the luckier you get. <laughs> Tell me, do you see yourself as a role model? Um, not necessarily. I would never think of myself as a role model. And there are certain characteristics about my life that don't make me a role model for, for many women because I don't have children. Um, but I would hope that the way I have lived and the way I have worked and that my my commitment to other women and my support of other women would be would be inspiring to women. I think it has been. Any advice that you would give to young women starting off their careers or oh, mid-career? Um, well, I, I suppose I have only three pieces of advice. Get yourself a good education, do your job well, and make sure that you know your partner in life understands and knows your dreams and your aspirations so they can be an advocate and a supporter for you. Uh, and I always remember many years ago a woman who, that telling me that it was her mother and her mother-in-law that were putting her, making her feel guilty about how the fact that she was working given that she had a child. Uh, and I remember thinking, mothers and mother-in-laws should refrain from doing that. They should try to understand that girl, that woman's goals and aspiration and be absolutely supportive of her because if she can live her dreams and her aspirations she can be a much better mother and a much better you know, lo- person looking after her child so I could never understand that 
And so that's what I'd say to, to uh, mothers and mothers-in-law, support your, your, your daughters and your daughters-in-law. Great advice. Vivian, thank you very much. It's a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this interview with the amazing Vivian Jupp, which was recorded initially last year for the BAI-sponsored Leading Women Radio documentary on News Talk. The advice is as fresh and appropriate as ever. I'm sure you'll agree. If you or your company would like to sponsor the podcast, please get in touch with us now via the website womeninleadership.ie or you can email us at info at womeninleadership.ie. That's info, I-N-F-O, at womeninleadership.ie. If you'd like to comment on anything you hear or know of any woman who you'd like to hear more from in a future podcast, email us with your suggestions to info at womeninleadership.ie. Please do follow us on iTunes now and spread the word about the Women in Leadership podcast. Till the next time, goodbye from me, Angie Mazzetti and the Women in Leadership team. Music